Today on the topping show, Bud Light distances itself from Dill Mulvaney, at least on their earnings call. MLB stadiums are boycotting Bud Light. Peloton is still continuing to struggle. Paramount Global Stock tanks and Jenny Craig shutting down their physical sites. Shopify to lay off 20% of their staff. And Kamala Harris pushes for an assault weapons ban. All of that and much, much more on the topping show. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see the owner at least twice a day. Gotta say, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner, give us a little assistance. You reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Jenny Craig shutting down all their stores as well as their offices. Jane Craig being a Carlsbad, California headquartered company, they're focusing on weight loss founded in 1983 in Australia, coming to the United States over in 1985. Have about 1,000 employees in the United States, the parent company now being HIG Capital. And they've had decades of financial issues and they've been bought and sold more times than I could count. And unfortunately, they're going to shut down all their physical company-owned stores as well as layoffs. And they claim that they're going to shift to e-commerce. And they have, I was shocked, they have 500 store North American locations. 500. Perhaps just perception. I've never noticed a single store, which is astonishing to not notice a single one. So it's sad to see that all those employees are going to be losing their jobs. Hopefully they'll find somewhere else where they'll be able to have a more enriching, fulfilling career. And... This is actually probably the perfect example of something that would be perfect for e-commerce and there's not an overwhelming need for them to have their own brick and mortar stores where that's prohibitively expensive just due to the overhead. It's not just a lot of people kind of forget the actual cost of setting up a store. It's not just the lease, which, you know, that's monthly expensive recurring cost. We also have electricity, you got water, you have internet connectivity. You have to have services or pest control, and you have to have physical employees working there. There's a lot of cost that goes into those stores. And for a weight loss supplement company, why not go into a vitamin shop or GNC if you want to be in a health-focused store and perhaps have some presence over in the big boxes like Walmart Target. But to have an own store dedicated to that one dietary supplement, their dietary ritual and plan, I can't imagine how profitable that was long term, especially when it's been bought and sold more times than I can count. So not too surprising that they're going to be shutting down all physical presence. Now, other sad businesses, you have Paramount Global. Their shares dropped 28% in part due to missing analyst, all the goals that they had set for Q1 for both earnings and revenue. Though it wasn't an astronomical delta, they expected to have a Q1 revenue of $7.42 billion dollars. They only, only quote-unquote, actually had $7.27 billion, and they expected to earn a cent per share, or the earnings per share of stock. They were expected to have a earnings of $0.17 cents per share, but they only had an earnings of $0.09 cents per share. Now, most importantly, it's going to make a lot of folks really disappointed and make the shareholders fervent. They're going to cut their dividend from $0.24 cents to $0.05. Cents. A nickel which is useless these days because it's not even made out of nickel or silver. But nevertheless, they're cutting the dividends basically to nothing. 
which is terrible beyond all belief from an investor standpoint. There's a long-term debate of reallocating resources where you have money at the end of the year, end of the quarter, you can reinvest into the business, the people, the product. You have to also maybe reward your shareholders. When it comes to dividend paying stocks, there's a whole group of followers and a whole group of investors who only invest in those stocks because they pay dividends. I mean, that's, in terms of the stability of a business, if they pay the exact same percentage dividend quarter after quarter or year after year, that makes investors extremely happy because it shows one of the most important things in business, which is stability. Even I believe ExxonMobil, one of the reasons they were so popular from an investor standpoint is they consistently pay dividends no matter what, even if the company is struggling. And that only that not only retains people, investors in terms of they're not going to sell their stock, but it also is a vote of confidence in the long-term outlook of the company, re, actually rewards people for buying their stock. And it actually gives it a sign that, hey, their stock price might be down, but they're still consistently paying dividends, taking care of the shareholders. Why not invest in them now when the stock is on a discount? So there's a whole philosophy of why you invest in those stocks. I understand the counter argument being that it does take away resources that could otherwise be put directly back to the business. But for many people that could be their main source of income and they're not going to, they're not looking at buying a stock year one and then selling it 30 years later when they retire. So it's especially concerning. And one of the reasons Paramount Global is dipping is just because a large part of the portfolio is traditional cable broadcast methodologies and products. So, I mean, this erased about $10.1 billion from the stock market. Just, it dropped that much. It just, the valuation just disappeared. So it closed at about $16.46 per share. Though, of course, by the time you watch this, it fluctuates as the stock market usually does. And, you know, when they asked about, you know, what's going on here? Why, you know, why are you dropping this dividend, which makes so many investors happy? The CEO, Bob Bakish, he noted, quote, further enhance our ability to deliver long-term value to our shareholders as we move forward streaming profitability unquote and this is also the first time since 2009 that they've reduced dividends so they are trying desperately as many of these media companies are to transition from the traditional cable box to streaming although again that in and of itself is an incredibly cutthroat really competitive area because every TV channel, or rather group of TV channels and intellectual properties, they're all launching their own. It's not just Netflix anymore. They were the industry leader. That's one of the reasons they profited because they took a huge risk with the DVD technology, then going to the streaming technology. They were the first to market for both of those technologies and they rewarded for those risks. However, you not just have Netflix, you have Disney, which owns pretty much every intellectual property that makes a child happy and man-childs and adult children, but you have Netflix, Disney, you also have Hulu, you have, I believe, NBC with their only reason to watch them being The Office. They have their Peacock, which is what they call it. You have HBO, which is more likely rebranding it from HBO Go or to HBO Max, and now it's just Max, which marketing business blunder of the year, because no one's going to get, sure, just named it after the original company, because that's where the brand recognition is the most. Nevertheless, well, this is just the top five name off the top of my head, and I don't even buy the stream services because I work 105 hours a week, but just the business, re anecdotally, I know of them and I research business extensively. So just off the top of my head, that's five. And there's many, many more than that. And consumers, right now, you have Don Kami, 40% hyperinflation, or 
top inflation in 40 years, people are losing jobs, and people who are fiscally responsible, which seem to be dwindling in numbers these days, they're wondering what could we cut from our bill, which is a extravagance or not a necessity, it's not a staple. And streaming is certainly one of those things. You don't need to have your eyes glued to a screen. It does not, it really improves your, ment your mental cognitive abilities, usually just a time sink for most folks in most content. Except this, it's awesome. Tune in more, like, subscribe, yada, yada. But it's again, if you're in tribe transition, if the CEO can do it, they do need to make those cuts. But if I were a gambling man, I'd say they need to reinvest even more into original content. Because that's, at the end of the day, why people are paying for streaming streaming services is the content they can only get at that, which is why NBC has their streaming service, Peacock. It's The Office, let's be honest. That's the main hit they've had in decades. And time shall tell. Hopefully things turn around for Paramount Global. They don't have to lay off too many employees. Now, other interesting businesses, you have Peloton continuing to struggle, which isn't too surprising. They were founded back in January 2nd, over 2012, which is fascinating to think they've been around for that long. And yet, they, in terms of mass market adoption, they really peaked and really, their sales went up exponentially with COVID lockdown where people were forced to live inside their own homes against their will, and all the gyms were shut down. And it's one of those situations where, similar to Yeti, they've been around for years with the 400, or $600 coolers. It wasn't until they invented a product that was easy for the mass market to adopt, which I believe is a $79.99 Yeti tumbler, I think it's a 30 ounce. But nonetheless, it is a fascinating one of my favorite books is Freakonomics, where it talks about these pivotal moments in business. Nevertheless, going back to the Peloton, they had that huge spike with COVID. And they had so much revenue, they actually bought out the best treadmill company in history, Precore. Those commercial treadmills, the last, my treadmill is the same model I used in college. I just had it reconditioned in terms of putting a new belt and a board on. But those frames and those, it's such a robust thing. It will last for 20, 30 plus years because it's commercial grade. So they had so much success as Peloton, they bought out the best treadmill company in history. And now they're struggling because of course, they had a couple flops when it comes to products. They had the treadmill with the safety issue where, which actually I've considered, a, a, as they say in IT, it's not a bug, it's a feature. To me, it's a feature that it didn't have one of those pain in the ass things where you accidentally dis disconnect and it stops the treadmill automatically. Though if you have infants and stuff, that's where the issues came. So they had a product little flop they had dwindling sales as after COVID, people started to have allowance to go outside again and live their lives. So their shares dropped about 14% and revenue dropped 22% for the fiscal quarter. Now, their fiscal quarter ended in March and they at that time they had about 3.1 million subscribers, which is only an increase of 74,000 since December. And they've done a lot of changes to try to turn the company around. They brought on a new CEO, Barry McCarthy, in February and he had some executive experience from both Netflix and Spotify. So he's the CFO of Netflix from 1999 to 2010, and the CFO of Spotify from 2015 to 2020. So they have new leadership. He was instated again in February, so a couple of months ago, and he's had a track record of working with companies that did have exponential growths, growth rates and companies that also had ebbs and flow in terms of ups and downs. So he has a successful career track to do it, and hopefully they're able to turn around, but it's also one of the things where everything is subscription. I know that's the way society's pushing these days, or rather all the means behind it or the infrastructure, but it's one of those things where you pay a premium for a bicycle, and every month you pay that subscription service for the videos and the reaction. And as more and more people can, are allowed to leave the house now, the growth rate has slowed down so much, 
And now, of course, similar to Netflix, Peloton was rewarded for being an innovator. They were the, basically the first to market in terms of commercial success. But now there's a lot more competitors, even from the traditional brands, brands such as Nordic Track. So you're having a lot more competition these days and less demand. And it'll be interesting to see how they continue to evolve, and hopefully they are able to turn things around. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Anheuser-Busch InBev CEO finally, finally addressing the issue, which they shot themselves in the foot April 1st, which was not a joke, even though April 1st is the joke of the year in terms of the day, when they hired their brand ambassador, Dylan Mulvaney, who is a famous trans activist on TikTok. They paid Dylan more money than most people make in a year. I think it was six figures for two pictures of Dylan holding the can, celebrating Dylan's transition in her 365 days of being a woman. Interesting social phenomenon. Nevertheless, it caused a backlash of their core customer base and sales crashed about, so now sales have crashed 26%. And the CEO actually admitted they were wrong on this as a earnings call. Time will tell if they actually publicly say, we made a mistake by alienating all of our current incumbent customers. But I doubt it'll, time shall tell if it's effective, but the CEO, Dylan, he really isn't doing what people want it, want him to do. And again, it's all, it's not about, they're not taking responsibility. They're abdicating responsibility. They're blaming, blaming, blaming the, playing the blame game, which is the most childish thing you can do. And they're claiming that an outside marketing company, they're the ones who greenlit that initiative. So the CEO, Dukakris, 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 nevertheless, he said, quote, we need to clarify the fact that this was a one, this is a one camp, one influencer, one post, not a campaign. It was just one. It wasn't even, a, unquote, and it was not a product on the shelves, which is technically true, but they made the custom can for Dylan. And he can, um, Dunkers, the CEO says, quote, we will continue to learn and meet the moment in time, all be stronger, and we work tirelessly to do what we do best, bring people together over a beer and create a future of more cheers, unquote. I swear that was almost written by a robot, or perhaps he is a robot, but again, they're not taking responsibility, they're playing the blame game. So, again, a search of a cultural phenomenon to make a decision that turned out to be a politically divisive one and one that is pissing off your incumbent base, not a prudent business decision, I would say. And in terms of trying to address the issue or fix the, or have some resolution around the issue, the CEO is saying, hey, we're going to triple our marketing funds to try to make this right. So we're going to triple our investment. And they did have a great Q1, It's sub, which is why the stock went up. But it is no, it's important to note their fiscal Q1 is not a calendar Q1 in terms of their Q1, January, March. No, maybe it is actually. I'm not, uh, I have my uh, brain farts every once in a while. So their last day of their fiscal Q1 was April 1st. So, or rather that was the first day after the quarter ended. Now, the marketing initiative with Dylan was April 1st. So Q1 sales were not affected by this because it, that marketing decision did not exist at the time. So we're not going to know the real numbers until the end of this quarter, so end of June, because you got April, May, June. 
and there's a lot of overwhelming anecdotal evidence that this is negatively affecting sales. But again, we'll find out from the parent company because you do have that disconnect because of the business model. You have the brewery, you have the distributor, you have the end user. So it's a chain of custody, so to say. It's very similar to IT sales when it comes to manufacturer of computers, selling them to businesses. So we're getting a lot of data from the distributors and the stores because they're closer to the actual purchase of the product. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, other interesting culture news with Bud Light and Heister Bush, you now have MLB stadiums. They're actually boycotting Bud Light. Now there's a viral video showing a game over in Boston. We have Boston fans walking right past the Bud Light going to their competitors. So you have those little stands here at a stadium where Here's the size of my wall behind me, but you have a couple of fridges, a couple of kegs, and each brand will have their little section of the stadium, unless there's an exclusive exclusivity contract where you're only having one. Now, the Bud Light line was, there wasn't a single person in that line, and more concerning to the people who invest in that company, their beer fridge, this is midway, I believe it was midway through the game, the beer fridges were completely packed to the brim. So the players are just standing there awkwardly. Well, if you go look down the hall, all the competitors were selling out their products. Their fridges were depleting inventory. And it's almost like Bud Light sales completely went to a standstill. And this is especially important because the sales methodologies for beer and other food in general is much more profitable at a ball game than at a grocery store. You're paying six to $12 to no, 10 bucks for a three cent piece of plastic uh, cup and then the beer extremely profitable so the MLB owners which also include the public sector and the city in terms of a lot of these cities have revenue shares where the city in a state the city will share ownership of the stadium and share ownership of the revenue from those products so this is going to have a huge ripple effect it's not just affecting the stadiums themselves and the teams themselves but a lot of folks are going to be hurting because of this business decision that again Anheuser-Busch made and in terms of support, going to we'll talk about the cultural support, you have, again, this, the decision to hire Dylan, you're going after the new market. Statistically speaking, it's a much smaller market by a number of people in that market. And you have the Book of Mormon cast, they're actually supporting Bud Light. So it's not completely one-sided, it's just a weighted scale as I'm looking for evidence on both sides of who's having the most support, who's having the most positive and negative effects on the brand. And this came out on Twitter, and then it is hilarious, inauthentic, time shall tell. I'll let you be the judge of that. But this is a video where the Book of Mormon cast were bragging about, they were so they were celebrating. Your but, friends from the cast of the Book of Mormon love and support you, are so proud of you, and for Anheuser-Busch, we are really, really proud of you for making an American superstar in your can. Love ya! very uh, bombastic and uh, flamboyant. So the whole cat, or many of the cast is in this video, it's going viral. Although many people don't think it's really authentic because this individual in the video, I dare not guess their pronouns, I don't know. But someone with short hair and glasses and uh, Adam's apple, so it's safe. I guess this person did not specify their pronouns, so I can't get this video delisted or canceled if I say it's a he. Now. His instinct was to shake the can, and he looked very shocked when he opened it, and it 
fizzled out. Is this he never drinking a carbonated product in his life? But again, it was interesting. It, it's one of those things where a lot of people are making fun of it. It's like, since when did this become an issue? Well, it's because Manheiser Bush made it an issue. And again, I think the main controversy around this thing is the average viewer, as far as we know, of Dylan Mulvaney on TikTok is 15 years old. The average TikTok user generally overall is about 20 years old. That's not in America. You cannot drink alcohol. You cannot purchase alcohol specifically at those age. And it's certainly not appropriate. Now, that's, I think, the biggest controvert, the biggest issue around this controversy, why so many people are upset with this issue. And time shall tell if it's how much this negatively, fiscally impacts the company. But it's already wreaking havoc on the brand as people are becoming... People are making fun of people for drinking the Bud Light. Those videos on YouTube, the parodies, are quite entertaining and plentiful and multiplying by the day, interestingly enough. Now, going on to the politics part of the podcast, we had an interesting situation. Well, perhaps not interesting, more predictable. So, VP Kamala Harris is pushing an assault weapon ban, which is a semantically overloaded term, which which was specifically tactically chosen because it's scary to uneducated Americans. I say that because assault weapon is, this could be an assault laptop if I hit someone with it. And statistically speaking, it's more deadly than a rifle since according to the FBI, more people die from blunt objects than rifles in the United States. Go ahead, check it out. Look on the stats. It's an overwhelm, it's much, much more people. Now, she is pushing an assault weapon ban. This is coming after a 24 year old member of the US Coast Guard killed one and wounded four, but that was with a pistol. And you also, going back the clock, they also pushed for assault weapon ban after February 15th after a Michigan State student used a handgun and Biden called for an assault weapon ban. And even, what was it, February 17th, Biden called for an assault weapon ban in the State of Union address, which three people watched. Though, it's painful. Just, I want to know everything by both sides, so I did watch it as well. And he also pushed for assault weapon ban because of the issue where he was back in January 21st over Monterey Park, California, again, handgun. Now, it's such a unhonest thing to call an assault weapon. It was used politically because they did a poll and they asked people, what's the scariest term? Sniper rifle wasn't too scary. It's also a bolt action. It's made out of wood most many times. That's not scary. But this black rifle, it's scary. It's called an assault weapon. And that assault rifle it's just a regular rifle. More often than not, it's a semi-automatic AR-15, the most popular rifle in the United States by the number of units sold. Over 50% of all rifles sold in the US is the AR-15. It is invented in California, ironically enough, by an aerospace company called Armorlite, hence the name Armorlite Rifle AR-15. That's where the nomenclature actually comes from. Many people now are calling it America's rifle because of the adoption between all the civilians who enjoy the product. and. It was this term invented to scare people. And again, the mechanics of it are identical to an overwhelming majority of every firearm on the market. They're all semi-automatic. Meaning the pistol or the pistol or the rifle, semi-auto, will shoot one bullet every time you pull the trigger once. And machine guns, which is what they're trying to scare you with, are extremely highly regulated. They've been regulated thanks to Ronald Reagan ever since 1986. So the in order to own one in the United States, if your state allows it, it has to be registered as well as manufactured before, I believe it was May 1986. And then, of course, you have additional background checks, a $200 tax stamp, thanks to the 1934 um, legislation around that. 
But that means because of the supply demand curve, there's very, very little supply and overwhelming demand. So if you want full auto AR-15 and your state allows it, it's called a transferable one because you can transfer it with proper background check as well as the paperwork. But it's gonna cost you 30 grand plus, that's the minimum for an AR-15 in full auto. So every, pretty much a safe bet is every time you see one, it's a standard semi-auto, which works just like a Ruger Mini 14, which is a very popular, made by Ruger. Takes AR-15 mags, but it's wooden, but it's both semi-auto. And again, it's just a term and an image used to design, scare, obfuscate the truth, which is why I think it's offensive and immoral to push that narrative when it's really not the case. It's enjoyed by millions of Americans, it's how you defend yourself, and it's how many people enjoy the sport. Now, contrast to this, we've had more and more news of people appropriately using their firearms as intended in terms of self-defense. Now, there, a couple days ago, there's a gentleman over in Philadelphia. There's an attempted robbery. A man tried to rob a gentleman. Now, thankfully, he was carrying that day. He turned around, put the person in his place. The threat no longer exists. And you're seeing as more and more the threats pop up in terms of bad actors, and there's less resources in terms of police, and just by the very nature of, it is a very challenging job, but the police are usually reactive. Most of us can't afford a personal bodyguard. Those probably run, what, sixty to $200,000 a year to have someone by your side to protect you. A Glock is usually $500. A concealed carry class where you can learn the proper techniques as well as the legal ramifications of what occurs when you fire a firearm might be another 150 bucks. A great ROI to protect yourself and your family. So I just want to mention that anecdotal evidence, and let me know in the comments if you want to hear more of these and go into the specifics, as the importance of the Second Amendment is to defend yourself. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, this is a long one in the running, so to say. You have Shopify, and they are laying off 20% of their staff and selling off business units. The main business blunder I have from this is just perhaps the lack of clarity or lack of vision behind the acquisitions. Now, Shopify is a Canadian-based online retail services platform. It's a back-end logistics behind many of the things you purchase when it comes to like coffee subscriptions with YouTubers. They're running a lot of the back-end fulfillment logistics of those things. It's a brilliant idea and does help millions of entrepreneurs out. Really is a great way to boost your initiatives as well as support. And They've been struggling to expand in terms of the physical delivery business. And they're selling two of the biggest things they just purchased. So they're going to be selling Deliver, which brilliantly named actually, D-E-L-I-V-E-R-R. That's pretty clever and it tells you what they do. So they get an A-plus for marketing. And they're also going to sell six river systems, which unless they transport goods around uh, along rivers, they get an F for marketing. Now... This basically ends their entire long-run initiative of trying to launch their own logistics operations for merchant customers. Now, they're going to sell Six River Systems to a warehouse company called Robotics Operations in the UK, which is an automated grocery fulfillment specialist, which is not a fascinating thing in and of itself, as even Kroger and more and more groceries are becoming robot factories at the warehouses in order to efficiently sort, package, and then ship produce, as many Americans are choosing that as a service, as a value add from a traditional grocery store. And we're looking at the CEO, Toby Lutiki. He noted, quote, We are changing the shape of Shopify significantly today to pay unshared attention to our mission, unquote. And interestingly enough, even though there was this bad news, 
their stock rose 24%, closing at $57.30 a share. So perhaps it's a boat of confidence, and this is a fascinating thing about the stock market, it is by its very nature a little bit unpredictable. And maybe folks are rewarding the fact that the company is going to be getting back to their main core competency and abandoning these things that may have been distracting them from what they do best. You see a lot of big, large businesses do this over time as they acquire companies over the years. But the main reason I'm calling this a business blunder is because they bought Deliver for $2.1 billion. $2.1 billion. And that, it was only a little bit less than a year ago. And they bought Six River Systems for $450 million back in 2019. So they bought something and sold it. Now, we don't know, at least as far as I did a couple of websites looking at the research behind it, but there's not, people are speculating that they lost money. There's not a single article saying the, that I could find where they said the amount. And I guess maybe that's, they got more cash in their pockets. Shareholders were happy, but to make such a big investment and then give up after a year and potentially cost them billions of dollars, even though their stock went up, they're going to have, they have to lay off staff. So in the end of the day, I think this is the business blunder of the day. Thank you again for taking time to tune in today. Every time you like, subscribe, and comment, it helps the channel out as well as sharing it. Don't forget, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies. Heck, tell anyone and everyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.